Help me out with this. Maybe you know this from your childhood, okay? You, you, probably, you probably know this. All right, finish this like, little poem. Mary had a little lamb. Its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, that's good. You did really good. How about this? Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. All right, now this section is going to go first, and then you guys are next. Ready? Row. Oh, we're not doing that. Um, so, you know, there's these like nursery rhymes, and there's these things that are just stuck in your head, right? They're in there, and when you need them, you can pull them out. I guarantee no one sat in the parking lot. Scott might have, but nobody else sat in the parking lot this morning practicing Mary Had a Little Lamb, just in case I quizzed you on it, right? You didn't need to practice that. It was just internalized, and it, at a moment's notice, you were like, whoosh. Picture like a quiver on your back. Uh, one of my favorite superheroes is Hawkeye. My man's got this magical quiver of arrows. And like no matter what he needs, he's got some arrow in his pack that will take care of that. And we've got all of these things. There's some that really help me all the time. I use this maybe daily at least once a week. And so finish this one if you know it. Don't mess it up if you don't. You're going to learn something. You know what you do after this? Righty tighty, lefty loosey. That is for screwing in a screw or unscrewing a screw. And if you get real analytical with it, it also helps you turn water on and off, okay? But you got to think about what the valve's doing inside, so don't confuse yourself. Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Right tightens it. Righty-tighty, left loosens it. That was for the few people who just struggle with screwdrivers. Um, there's another things like this. An apple a day does what? Keeps the doctor away. I don't know if that's true, but if he shows up at my house, I'll just show him my apples. Last one, this is important. It'll save your life. If you ever catch on fire, what should you do? I got to tell you something. I work with a lot of kids, and I'm noticing a lot of them don't know this. And so public school teachers, if you have influence somewhere, we should start teaching this again. I don't know if it saved lives. I think, has it saved lives, Jeremy? Maybe? Probably? Yeah. Um, <laughs> stop, drop, and roll. Okay, all that, just to set us up, man, there are things in your brain. The human brain is incredible. Not only our ability to process things and, and think about things, but the ability to just like, whoosh, 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 just pull tools out. And just use them when we need them and then tuck them back away. If you've been driving for years, you've probably like kind of woken up while you're on the highway and be like, holy cow, I'm driving. <laughs> I'm doing all kinds of other things in my head because it just is second nature to you. And you just really get into it. And most of us have internalized a lot of things. Movies, uh, quotes, song lyrics, uh, like poetry that you might have learned, famous speeches, schoolhouse rocks songs. That's how I know how the government works. The second week of our Thrive series is all along these lines. So we're doing this series called Thrive, Own Your Growth. And it's, it's more than just a teaching series from Scripture. It totally is. But for us, it's a little bit uh, foundational. It's one of our core values. And if you look at the coffee bar right when you leave, there's like these five framed images on the wall, and they've got words on them. And th these are our five core values. Like if nothing else, we want to try to live by these five things. And one of them is the value of we value owning your growth. And we talked last week about uh, the importance, like probably one of the most pivotal things about owning your growth is you don't have to do it alone. I mean, God has provided almost everything, almost everything. He gave us creation. Here you go. He gave you yourself. We are created in the image of God, his good and perfect image. He's given you whatever you, you have. He's also given you chances. Like when we mess up, when we totally sin, when we go against his righteousness, he says things like, there is forgiveness for that. There is grace for that. And so how he did that was he came to earth as a human named Jesus. That was all of last week. The whole idea about owning your growth is like, you're not expected to do this by yourself. That'd be crazy. No one's going to learn karate by themselves. No one's going to learn how to, you know, do all these complicated things by themselves. And our spiritual life is the same. But there's a piece of it that you just have to own. 
I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to go to the church on a Sunday. I'm going to choose to be kind. I'm going to act humbly. I'm going to be a good steward of my money. I'm going to take my time and think about what would Jesus do, right? This is the own your growth part. So where do we get the information for that? I think there's a lot of places for it. We talked last week about mentors, rabbi, I use that word, a teacher. We talked about small groups and things like that. I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, about every other seat had another piece of paper that you might have noticed. And it's a little survey. A lot of you turned them in last week, but um, if you weren't here or if you didn't turn one in, take a look at it through the service. It's just a survey. You do not have to fill this out. Hey, don't, don't mishear me. You do not have to fill this out, and you definitely don't have to put your name on it. But it's a resource for two reasons. One, throughout this Own Your Growth series, and we want to help you thrive. We want to be able to place resources in your lap. Like you don't have to do it by yourself. And one of the greatest resources is to have a mentor, a rabbi type person, someone that you can just talk to. And so we, the first question is, are you in a discipling relationship? And we kind of want to know, like percentage-wise, how as a church are we doing? So if you would fill that out, drop it in the bucket. You don't have to put your name on it. And kind of the, the, and what does that look like is the second question. The third question is, would you like to be connected with a group of people? discussion and community. I mean, that's how we thrive. And so um, if you really want to be connected with a group or to have someone reach out to you, you can write your name at the bottom. And uh, last week we had a handful turn those in. And, and uh, if you turn one of those in, uh, I think I reached out to you. Hopefully someone else did too to help you just plug in. But that survey can be dropped in a bucket as you leave. And that's all you need to drop off in that bucket if you want to. Totally optional. But it'll just kind of help you. But today, in addition to the people in our life, the big phrase is Bible internalization. Bible internalization. Because just like you uh, internalized, Mary had a little lamb, this fleece was fly snow, everywhere the Mary went, this lamb was sure to go. Just like you know all the words to like, uh, you know, more than a feeling or something from Boston. Like whatever song you can pull deep out of the depths of your brain. Internalizing God's word, internalizing scripture is a place that we can go to pull a tool and use it anytime we need it. In the Old Testament, King David uh, writes about this in, in Psalm chapter 119. If you want to look it up in your Bible, you can. We're not going to read all of Psalm 119 because it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. But there's just a couple of verses we're going to touch on today. One of them's quick, and you, it should be on the screen here if you just want to see it. Psalm 119.11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The concept, if I've, I've internalized the word of God so that when the time comes, I can pull it out of my quiver and I can use it. And if it's not there, I'm going to be helpless. But if it is there, it'll be available for me. Internalization. So it's more than just reading Bible. It's more than just having like a Bible reading plan or some people that you talk about the Bible with. It's like, it's just in there. And when I come across something in life that I don't know how to deal with, when trouble hits, when anxiety overtakes you, when, when doubt creeps in, when temptation rears its ugly head and you're thinking about sin, going against God and unrighteousness, like whatever, God's word is right there. His Holy Spirit comes alongside us. We talked about Jesus being there last week. And then he's like, I've given you instruction. I've given you things to hold on to. This is your tool. Uh, there's a phrase that my dad used a long time ago that I will never forget. And I've shared it here before. But I was working with him doing something. And he was doing some plumbing. And I don't know what happened. But we must have sprung a leak somewhere. He was like, quick, hand me the monkey wrench. And if you don't know what a monkey wrench is, it's like a pipe wrench. It's a big, heavy wrench. And it's really good for tightening and loosening pipes, fittings. And so he's like, quick, give me the monkey wrench. So we get it set up. And he goes, you know, I have found that when you need a monkey wrench, you need it right now. A monkey wrench is not a tool that you're like, oh, shoot, the house is leaking. When I get some time, I'm going to go to Lowe's, walk around, look at the Christmas decorations, maybe get lost in another aisle and be like, oh, monkey wrench. Go get a monkey wrench. Let's compare prices. 
go back in the car, come house, come back to the house, you know, you're ankle deep in water by then. And now I got the monkey wrench, let me grab a sandwich. Now, like, there are certain tools that are most useful in, like, emergency situations. Another one you might think of is, have you ever not had jumper cables? And you're the dude, the lady walking around a food line, like, you got jumper, excuse me, man, you got jumper cables? Yeah, I was the one that forgot mine. I know, I know, it seems really irresponsible, but seriously, can I get some jumper cables? Because when you need jumper cables, when do you need them? Right now. You're not like, I think I might get them for later. That's what you should do. You should have them in your trunk. That's my public service old man announcement. But so there's certain things you just need right now. And God's word is that way. Have you ever been in a situation you're like, I don't know what to do. And you just don't have it. And so what do you have to do? A, you just rely on your instincts. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. Or you got to go talk to somebody. And that's okay. That's totally cool. Totally fine. You don't know everything. We know it. We don't. But what if you've already been internalizing God's word? And you could just pull it out. Like, this is what God says about this situation. I love the story Carly told about fear this morning. For her to be able to draw from that later and say, man, you know what? God can take me through this time where I have fear, like whatever it is. And so what I want you to do this morning, we're going to look at a story where Jesus teaches us this through his example. We always look in the Bible for God's most important truths. Grab your Bible if you got one. Uh, we try to be a church where people bring your Bibles. If you don't, that's totally cool. We'll have it on the screen here. Also got it at the lobby. Like there's a shelf as you exit the door, so... Take a Bible. Those are free. You need to keep one. It's yours. Put your name in the front, or you can borrow it for any service that you need it. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 today. Matthew is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels. And uh, when we land in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to find Jesus being in a very precarious situation and having to reach into his tool bag for a monkey wrench, the hawk-eyed arrows or whatever he's doing. And he's going to use God's word to guide him through what was definitely a hard time. So Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. That's Paul's right there. So Jesus is in this situation where actually most of the big leaders in the Bible, and I actually think to this day, before they kind of embark on their big, big thing that they find out that they're going to do with their life, whether they know it ahead of time or not, they go into what we just call a period of wilderness. They just kind of go out, and a lot of them are intentional in Scripture. Some of them are just, you might find, like, accidental. You're like, I just found myself in the wilderness. God uses the wilderness to prepare us. The wilderness strips us from our resources and puts us in a position of trusting God. We just get in that spot, and we're like, man, I got to I got to decide what I'm made out of right now. I got to decide where my faith is. I got to decide what I'm made out of right now. So Jesus is having one of these periods too. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. An amazing story. Uh, and, and, if you, and if you know the story, you know, this is a moment right before he kicks off his public ministry. And he's about to be doing miracles. He's about to be uh, releasing people from demons. He's, demons. he's about to be speaking to like huge government leaders. He's about to take it on and eventually in like three years give his life on the cross. But before he rears up for all that, he goes to the wilderness. And while he's there, Two things happen. Number one, it says he was being tempted by the devil. Let me go ahead and tell you the second part because I think that leads into the first part. Because he had chosen to do a 40-day fast. Some of us can't make it to lunchtime without getting hangry, okay? A 40-day fast is not miraculous. People do it to this day. It's hard. It's actually not advisable from a health standpoint. You can do it, and people do it for very specific reasons. To completely rely on God, generally this will involve, you'll have water, 
but you're just letting your body waste away. And when you feel the pains of hunger, you're like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to focus. This is like, this is hardcore stuff. No one's calling anybody in this room to do that. You might feel like you need to one day. That's up to you and Jesus. But Jesus chooses to do it. In the state of vulnerable hunger, who shows up? The devil. Man, the evil one will kick your tail when you're hungry. When you're tired, when you're grumpy, when you don't have your stuff in order, when you're not being taken care of physically, that's when spiritual warfare hits the hardest, even if you're Jesus. It's important to remember, though, that Jesus at this time, though he is fully God, remind ourselves of the full story of Jesus. God, God, the creator of the universe, puts on flesh and comes to this earth. But in doing so, Philippians chapter 2 says he releases the pleasures of heaven. He says he lets go of what he had as God in deity, and he took on human form so that he could experience hunger, pain, loss, grief, all the stuff we're going through. The devil's like, let's see what you're made of, Jesus. And so we pick him up in verse uh, 3. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, a lot of you have heard this story before. Can I just put up a big roadblock for you? Don't tune this out. Some of the best stories in the Bible are the ones we've heard over and over again. And we just like, yeah, I know the story. I know what a preacher's going to say. I've heard a thousand sermons. Shut that noise down. I'm not claiming to say anything new, but I want you to hear what happens through this. In his biggest point of weakness, the devil comes to him, and what he challenges is his identity. If you are the son of God. The devil knows that Jesus is God in the flesh. He knows that. There's a lot of moments where evil spirits are like, we know you. We know your name. We know who you are. The devil isn't confused about who Jesus is. He's actually saying, okay, listen. Why are you doing this, Jesus? You're hungry? Dummy? Make some bread. You created the whole earth. Make a sandwich. And he comes in and he challenges Jesus' very identity at his very weakest spot. That's what he'll do to you too. Sucker, loser, can't pay your bills, you don't have a good job, Pfft. probably should have stayed in school, probably should have done what your mom said, your dad was right about you, right? Whatever, it is. The, the negativity and the voices and the craziness, Jesus doesn't bite. Verse 4, look what he does, he reaches into his quiver, his tool bag, he pulls out a monkey wrench, he says, it is written. It is written is like code for, I'm about to quote scripture. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is uh, doing something here. I don't know if you notice. Uh, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's this moment that Moses is having with the nation of Israel. And if you know the nation of Israel story, basically, here's a Cliff's Note version. They were enslaved in Egypt for like 400 years. God releases them. Moses comes as the great emancipator. And they come out and they cross the Red Sea. And they end up in like the wilderness. Go figure. That's how God prepares us. But he puts them out there. And they're like, we're hungry. We want to go back to Egypt. And Moses is like, they're hungry, God. And God's like, I got them covered. So he starts feeding them with these miraculous things. Manna, which is this like bread wafer stuff that just shows up on the ground every morning. Can you imagine that? You people who have to plan your meals every week for your family? What if you just woke up and it's just like cereal in the living room? You're like, cool, cool. And then quail came miraculously. It was amazing, amazing story. So they provided for him. And in the midst of this, they're still whining. So Moses reminds them, if you want to look down um, 
In Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, Moses is kind of giving them a speech. He's saying, guys, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that, listen, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. It reminds me of something that happens in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Hebrew writer says, For the word of God is alive and active, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God is living and active. This is a phrase we've used to mean basically... When you look at God's word, it can speak into your life right now. Jesus is facing the tempter in the desert thousands of years after Moses, but you know what he did as a little boy? He read Deuteronomy 8, and his mom and his dad got it in his heart, and he probably went to little Jewish boy school where all they did was listen to uh, scripture. That's literally what they did. And they heard these stories over and over and over and over, and the devil says the trigger word, bread. The devil, Jesus is like, oh, I got something for that. Yeah, I'm hungry. The whole point of manna was to prove to the people that God will provide for you. And Jesus said, I made this commitment to this fast. God is going to provide for me. He shuts them down. It is written. Internalizing scripture and pulling it out when he needed it. Let's keep the story going. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city. He's in Jerusalem. Had him stand at the highest point of the temple. So Jerusalem's built on kind of a, a, a hill. And so when you're on top of the temple, like you can see everywhere all around you. He says, again, challenging his identity. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Watch this. For it is written. Now, it's the code word. It means what? I'm about to quote scripture. But who's talking right now? The devil is about to quote scripture. He knows the Bible better than you do, better than I do. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He challenges him. Hey, jump off this temple. Just jump off. Scripture tells you that if you, the angels are going to protect you. One of the things that the evil one will do is misuse scripture misinterpret, misapply, take out of context to cause us to doubt God, to cause us to do things against God. It's very common in this world. It happens all the time, actually. People are always like, yeah, and they just quote scripture. They just quote it. It's in there. It's in their head. They got it completely wrong. They're like, I thought Benjamin Franklin said that. Jesus said that. Like, and the devil will do that to you, too. This is not a scripture. You can look it up. Challenge, challenge the devil here. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Look it up. Devil quotes it accurately. <laughs> But he quotes it out of context. This is not a scripture that says, we should all go throw ourselves off of high buildings. We should throw ourselves in front of school buses. God will always save you. That's not what this passage is about at all. But in this moment of weakness, the devil tries to use scripture against him. You going to quote scripture? I'll quote scripture. But Jesus says, man, don't play with me. It is also written, verse 7, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God's word will not contradict itself. There are times where it will seem like it contradicts itself because it's 2023 right now, and this is old stuff. So you can find a YouTube video that would like, these are the 500 scriptures that are contradictions. 
Yeah, there's seeming contradictions, but once you understand the context and the culture that they were written into and the purpose that it was originally written for, you find out like, oh, no, these aren't, these aren't out of context. I mean, these aren't contradictions. I just don't understand it. This is really old. I just need to learn more. Don't get your theology from YouTube. That's actually not 100% true. There's some fantastic theology on YouTube also. But take the time to internalize scripture and say, well, let me hold this up against things. That's also why community is important. Having people who have been studying scripture longer than you and Get in that context. You picking up what's happening here? It's a little battle. It's a little sword fight. The Apostle Paul calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. A little sword fight between the devil and Jesus. He's going to pick up in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, another high place. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the splendor. Let me just put this in a little context for you. Uh, the devil is often called the king or the ruler of this earth. Okay, And so in his mind, I think, this is just... My understanding. I think he views the world as his. And in some ways it is. I mean, it's not. It's not. But like the fact that he can get people to focus on the flesh and the earthly things and not the spiritual stuff. I think that the devil looks out in the world like this is mine. So when he's standing on this mountaintop, he's not being but so absurd. He's being pretty absurd to go to Jesus and offer him anything. But remember, Jesus is hungry. He's weak. He's ready to get out of this. Remember, Jesus' mission is to take the next three and a half years and basically get like as prepared for execution as he possibly can. This is not going to be fun. People are going to stomp on him and spit on him and call him names, and he's going to have to stand up and say no. Now, the devil says it's a shortcut. Uh, you want to rule the earth. Um, I know a guy. I'm actually in charge of the whole place. It's my place, which I imagine Jesus is like, okay, tell me about that. But all of this will be yours if you will bow down to me. And worship me. Verse 10. Jesus has had enough. He says, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Nobody else. I'm not bowing down to you or anybody else. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended to Jesus. So this is the story. That's the story. It's a pretty short story. It's got a good little pattern to it. That's a good uh, first century Jewish lesson. That's how they do it. Patterns. It's memorizable. In Psalm 119, verses nine, verse 9, I said Psalm 119 is this long passage about King David and how much he really values the word of God. And in verse 9, it says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? You can also insert old person there, too, if that feels better. How can an old person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Well, that's all well and good, right? Cool. Sweet. You're dismissed. Let's go eat lunch. Talk about youth group fundraisers. We're done. No, this is hard, man. This is super hard to live according to the word. Because the word is hard. I don't understand a lot of it. And when I get into it, I get, I get bored. And it's old. Am I the only one? I don't know where to begin. I go to, I go to small groups and Bible studies. And sometimes I'm like, I already heard this one. Right? So what, what do I do? First of all, you need to know you're not alone. It takes work to be prepared for battle. No, no soldier is going to be like, we're good. Let's take another five minutes and nap. We'll run out and face the, the other army. Heck no. Battle's hard. And if you expect to face a battle unprepared and win, you don't live in reality. 
So one of our tools is to internalize scripture. So what do we do? Okay, so there's this great book. Uh, it's called um, Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster. I have uh, told you guys about it a bunch of times. If you don't have Celebrating D- Discipline by Richard Foster, I think it was written in the early 80s. It holds up. And this guy just goes through a whole bunch of different like spiritual disciplines, ways you can build yourself up and grow. And, um, but he has a section about, about Bible study. And I want to share for you, he has like four um, parts of how we can internalize scripture. I'm going to give them to you real quick if you want to write them down, and then I'll give them, go through them one at a time and just kind of break them down a little bit. Um, but there, quickly, it is repetition, concentration, comprehension, reflection. So it's RCCR, if you're a memory mnemonic guy, person. Uh, repetition, concentration, comprehension, reflection. Don't worry, I'm going to say them again. RCCR. And let's talk about those four things, because these four things are a really good idea on how we can study the Bible and start to internalize it. The first one is repetition. Everybody said repetition. You got it. You learned it. Good job. Repetition. Say it again. Repetition. Oh, let's do it again. Repetition. Now, does anybody know what the first one is? How do you do that? Because you repeated it three times, right? Repetition is the key to memory. Like, that's a really big thing. Uh, There's psychologists who talk about that the things that a child hears early and often is most likely what will shape their personal identity of themselves, their self-image. So if you as a kid were told you're you're dumb, you're, you're ugly... You know, you're overweight, you're not talented, and your parents told you that over and over and over and over and over. I don't care how many awards you tried to win, how many degrees you got, you still go to bed at night and you're like, I'm dumb, I'm overweight, I'm ugly, I'm untalented. Because if you hear it enough, repetition will lock in our brain. You also have watched American Idol contestants try out who cannot sing. And professional singers will tell them, you cannot sing. And they'll be like, "Uh uh-uh, my grandma told me I can sing. And repetition has locked it in their brain. I am a good singer. And so repetition is a really important part of our spiritual disciplines. Parents, this is why it's really important. I can't overemphasize this. To have your kids in church and in Christian community and reading God's word to them and praying over them as often as possible. If you are only coming to church once every six to eight weeks, guess how often your kids are coming to church? Once every six to eight weeks. What are they doing more often? probably playing soccer, playing video games, looking at a cell phone. So what is raising them? What is getting locked in their brains? I'm not saying church is the golden bullet that's going to raise our kids for us. It's still our job. But repetition is key. What we do often. Deuteronomy chapter 11, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy a lot here in this passage. In fact, that's all he quotes is Deuteronomy. So to borrow from Jesus, I want to quote Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. This is some instruction in families. It says, fix these words of mine on your hearts and your minds. Listen to this drastic measure he suggests that you go to. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. There's some really legalistic uh, Jewish people who in, in their best, um, they're, they're trying to do good things. In Jesus' time, they would literally like, have these boxes, these hat things. They would tie, they would put on, and they would like put scriptures in them because they're like, literally, I'm going to tie this to my forehead so that I don't forget. My mom used to put post-it notes on the bathroom mirror. That's how she did it. But as we do this, we tie them to our foreheads and we tie them to our hands. Teach them to your children. How often? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You're constantly pouring the word of God over them and over yourself. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the advice of repetition. Get it in you by seeing it often. Repetition. The second one is concentration. So say repetition. Say concentration. This is the hard part. 
Uh, I listen to my Bible app almost every day. And there's like a reading plan I'm doing with a bunch of you guys from church. And like I'm guilty of just like putting it on play. I'm like, I got like a 10-minute drive to the office. I'm going to listen. Like seven minutes in, I'm like, I don't know. I'm rethinking the football game from last night. And the old British guy on the app has read to me for like eight minutes. I'm like, what we I had to rewind it. Concentration is hard. Because we get into God's word, especially if it's something you've read before, you kind of know the, the story. But like, let me show you this. When I say, ba-da-da-da-da, you say, here's the thing. You know that, but odds are good, McDonald's has got that in your brain. And even when you watch their commercials, you're not paying attention to it. She's in there. Jingles do that. They get in there. So just because you're repeating it, just because you can regurgitate it, you might know a lot of scripture because we've done songs here that are all scripture. You're like, I can say the whole thing. Just repetition doesn't internalize it. The concentration, oh, they got chicken nuggets on sale this week. Okay. Like there's a, mean, there's a message in there, and we can begin to internalize that message. Repetition, concentration. The third one, say comprehension. So comprehension is like the fruit of the first two. <laughs> I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. Let me think about it. Light bulb. That's, that's comprehension. Like I, now I know what it's talking about. And it leads to something for me. Now, I want to clarify this because the church in the West, we've been guilty of this. We believe, in fact, we sometimes teach, the most important thing you can do is have knowledge. The most important thing you do is comprehend. And if you can sit and you can talk about it and like, yeah, you got a good argument. You can win an argument. Sweet. But the goal is not comprehension. Actually, the goal of God's word is transformation. Like it should change you. So if I understand that chicken nuggets are on sale on Wednesday, then therefore I will only eat chicken nuggets on Wednesdays because I'm a good steward of my money. I comprehend the message. It leads to transformation. I'm not going to pay full price for chicken nuggets. That makes sense? So when I'm, when I'm internalizing scripture and I got the repetition, I got the concentration, the comprehension dawns and I go like in the book of Colossians. This was a big one in my mind all summer because we did it for summer camp. And it says you should clothe yourself with gentleness and kindness and compassion and I heard it a hundred times. I actually preached probably six sermons sometime in the last 12 or 18 months using part of that scripture. But the comprehension dawns when I'm hanging out with somebody and they are really getting on my last nerve. And I clothe myself with kindness and compassion instead of being a jerk, which is my default mode. You see that? Transformation is the goal. Repetition, concentration, comprehension. And then the last one is really just... I don't know, this is the touchy-feely part of it, for especially for our Western Christianity, but the idea is reflection. Reflection is understanding the significance. Uh, if you've ever been in like a church Bible study, someone probably asks, what does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? I will tell you that's often not the best lens to view Scripture through, because um, as much as we write cool Christian radio songs, it's like, God's Word is a love letter to you. Uh, some of them were like literally written to Philemon, like it was a letter to Philemon. This dude, Philemon, got a letter written to him, and it was his letter. There's still truth in it for you, so we don't need to get too focused on like how I feel about Scripture. That's not the goal, but to simply ask like, okay, what does it mean for me to clothe myself with compassion, kindness, gentleness? Like, what does it mean for me? That's reflection. All four of these things will begin to fill your quiver. And if you go in the big battle of your life and you're facing the evil one and he's tempting you in your wilderness and you pull out all you got is John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes me, you know, not perish and have eternal, eternal life. You're like, I know that because I've seen it on the signs at the football games and, and Tim Tebow had it on his little eye patch. And, like this, and that's good. That's a really good scripture. Knowing that Jesus came to the earth, John 3, 16, that's great. 
But after that knowledge comes by, if that's all you got in your quiver, I just feel like the Holy Spirit in your life is going to be like, that's all you got, man? That's all you put in there? Dude, this is a hard battle. Uh, Just so you know, this one's going to be hard for you because you you didn't come ready. I suggest you call your friends. (laughs) You're not going to be able to handle this one on your own. That's why community is important. Community piece is also those four things I just said is the best way to internalize scripture. I love hanging out with Brian, who plays drums up here. And I I love, he'll just be like, I was just, he'll, he'll be the best one to be like, I was just thinking about something in the Bible the other day. He'll just tell you what he was thinking. And next thing you know, it's half an hour later, and we're still talking about it. And like that conversation starts to internalize it in you. Is it easy? No, guys. Life is hard. The battle's hard. And if you want to float on the surface and just get by the best way you can and hope that money and success will buy you happiness, good luck with that. Talk to all the rich and successful people in the world who by the end are just depressed and lonely. But if you want to go deep and you want to see this God who created you in his image and can transform you and help you make a difference in this world, internalize his words. Some of you sadly maybe don't have your parents or grandparents with you anymore. They passed away. And I bet you for a lot of you, there have been moments where you're like, if I could just call them right now and ask for their advice. And I don't say this to be insensitive or sad, so I hope I didn't take you there. But I want to tell you this. Our, our God has given us all these words. And we can, we can call him. And he says, I've given you the advice that you need. I've given you the steps that we need. Put it in your head. Put it in your heart. Hide, your word, hide my words in your heart so that you will not sin against me. Every week we have a challenge. And this is the challenge this week. Um, Last week, the challenge was, like, find some people that you can grow with. That was the challenge. And so if you, you didn't do that last week or you're still working on it, fill out one of these surveys, drop it in a bucket as you go. And we really want to help plug our church family into each other so that you can know that community. The challenge this week's a little bit different, but still good. It's, it's doable. It's, there's not going to be a slide for it, so you might have to write it down. Try to read your Bible three times this week. That's the, that's the first half, okay? There's a bonus section. But if that's all you accomplish, that's good. Try to read it three times. For the sake of repetition, comprehension, and all that other stuff, read the same thing three times this week. Just read the same things. Read Colossians chapter 3. That's a good place to start. That's what I was thinking about just a minute ago. That's a good one. Read Whatever you read, read it three times. Or if you have some kind of Bible reading plan, do three times, okay? You notice I didn't say seven. I didn't even say five. <laughs> Habits are hard to build. Three times. In the process, ask yourself these questions. What is God saying to me? And how can I be transformed? Like reflect on it. Three times. Here's the bonus material. Do this with a friend. Before you leave the day, be like, hey, you know anything Chris said? You want to do that? <laughs> or you can be excited about it. Hey, let's read God's word three times this week. Is that manageable? Yes. The thing is, it makes eternal difference. Because the more you do that and begin to apply it in your life daily, 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 the more monkey wrenches and, and jumper cables and magic arrows you're going to have in your bag to fight against the enemy. And in this way, you can own your growth and you can thrive. Uh, let me pray over this morning.